Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here. If you've never been before, you'll notice that we're a bit different than traditional churches in our style, but we want you to know that we still see the Bible as authority. We take God very seriously here, and we have a goal to encourage you to take the next step in your walk with God every week you're here. This week, it's a standalone Sunday with a sermon title called Holy Ghost Stories, and today... We're going to talk about that. Ghost stories, as seen in God's Word, though, not some kid around the campfire, camp-like way of doing it. Uh, when you see clips like this, like where they're sitting in a bed, and then all of a sudden, like the stories are about to come out, and you got the, the flashlight, right? We're not going to do it that way. Um, you just maybe, I don't even know, why did you use something like that? Was it to actually be able to see your face better? Was it to actually be more spooky? Or was it simply just to use that, this, this tool? Like, what is this thing? This, this little beaming of light thing? Like, before phones, like, what if people must have just wanted to use that, right? <laughs> now, with that, uh, you can let me know of, like, why you actually maybe would use something like that as you tell a scary story, but, but has anyone ever used something like that before, told a ghost-like story like that? And literally, you maybe got a good laugh, like, a after it with your group, or the opposite, maybe, like, someone peed their pants. Um, personally, when it comes to spooky stuff for me, I am a scaredy cat, and I would be one that probably would pee my pants during like stories like that that are scary, not because like scariness like oozes out urine, but because after hearing a story, I don't want to go alone. I don't want to walk away. So like even if I have to go, I'm just going to my pants because that would mean I have to be alone. Anyone specifically just scared of being alone, maybe that's spooky to you because you feel that's when the spookiness comes out. Okay, maybe it's just me. Uh, but even in groups, spookiness happens. Specifically, I, I remember growing up, I want to say I was in like third grade or something like that. And you know you're scarred when you're pulling back from memories back then. Uh, but it was me and all of my karate friends um, and one of their dads. We went to this amusement park haunted woods. And the buildup was, we're tough for this. We're ninjas, right? Like, we're good. And everyone had like kind of like their own take on what they heard about this place. One of my friends, like, you know, the chainsaw noises that you hear, the guys are experts, so they actually still have their chains on, so watch out when they chase you. Or someone is like, you know, I heard someone went missing in this woods the other day. And then on and on and on, story after story. But we bought our tickets, feeling like we're all tough. I think we were like brown belts at the time in Taekwondo. And literally the second we got off the hayride at the entrance, something spooky came by us, pulled at one of us, and the entire vibe changed instantly. Reminder, there were like five of us and one dad that was with us. But I remember this so vividly. Uh, there were like two on one arm of the dad, like holding on, you know, two on the other arm, and then one that was just behind the dad like this, just bear hugging away. I was on the arm, the closest to the dad, because obviously the ones on the outside are the ones that go first. And I'm pretty sure one of our sound guys here was also along on this holding on to an arm as well. 
Spoiler alert, we all made it. No one was injured besides the dad from cramping and having to carry us all the way through the woods. But stories, aloneness, amusement parks, and the spooky stuff of this world that are like this, it leaves us questioning sometimes, especially as we're worshiping a God who is of the spiritual realm. But it leaves us questioning, like, what is actually real? What is actually real? What's worth being scared about? As we talk about this in church, uh, I want you to think, have you ever wondered what God's word or the Bible actually says about ghosts? What God's word says about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit? Have you ever encountered something and we're like, yikes, this feels evil and real and spooky and horrific? Or maybe something of God, and you're like, this, is, this feels like God and spiritual, and, and thought, how do I know? Is this real or not? Today, we're going to talk about whether there is a legitimacy to ghosts and hauntings, what the Holy Spirit is like, hear some stories about him, and to express the things that you should actually be nervous for. So, ooh, it's going to get spooky today. It's actually not scary at all uh, in a frightening sense, but in a life-changing sense. You should absolutely be nervous about what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. To give you just kind of a glance at what to expect over our next 25 minutes together, I thought I'd chart out the content of our message together. So the first part is about me being a scaredy cat. You already heard that. The next part is about the existence or not of ghosts as seen in the Bible. Uh, The next part would be the Holy Ghost. About 25% of the message will be on that. 25% will be on the Holy Spirit. Maybe more frightening than you actually think. The next section will be how I'm a scaredy cat of the Holy Spirit and run from it. And then finally, how you and I can start being more ready for the Holy Spirit and its promptings. Now, to get us started today, though, let's talk about ghosts. Let's talk about ghosts for a second. They're all the rage this time of year. Media portrays friendly ghosts like Casper, all the way up to these evil hauntings and ghosts from the past, from a distant relative or homeowner or long-lost person. There's just shows and rumors and movies that never fully give you the answer, it seems, right? And they just leave you wondering. We've all heard stories and maybe even contributed to telling these stories, but then you have people... Like maybe your, your hillbilly-ish uncles who debate the existence, like, ah, there is no such thing as ghosts. And then on the other side, you hear things like from your other uncle who's like, I heard this noise after I talk. It repeats after me. And you're like, an echo? No, a ghost. Sounds kind of like an echo is what you're hearing. But it leaves us wondering, right? Like, honestly, what is going on? Are there ghosts or not? So today, I'm going to be a bit of a ghostbuster for you. You know the song, right? Pastor Aaron, he's going to be a ghostbuster, all right? I'm going to be a ghostbuster because when I look at the the Bible, I actually can get some answers and bust some ghostly stories. Wouldn't you want to know what God, the king of the world and everything in it, and also the king of the spiritual realm says about this all? I do. I I know I do. So we're going to dive in. And one of the most common thoughts people have is a ghost is some person who has returned for a haunting. I mean, it's part of the definition of a ghost, an apparition of a dead person, which is believed to appear, right? And this, I think, is kind of a lot of our general view of ghosts. But when I look at what Hebrews in the Bible says, Hebrews 9.28, it says, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. 
Now, I'm no expert in like the theological views of ghosts or anything of that sort, but based off of my interpretation of Scripture, this is telling me people die once, and then they face judgment of going to hell or heaven. There isn't this in-between time where people can come back to earth and not, people cannot return or just choose. I just, I'm choosing to hang out as a ghostly figure for a while. This should bring us some clarity, right, to some of those questions, but it also maybe it negates the idea or the experience of the positive revisits one may desire or have had from the past relatives or loved ones who have passed, which might be sad for some of us or unfortunate or even confusing if you've maybe experienced something of the sort. Sure, maybe you could have experienced maybe this messenger from heaven with a message or a sign, but Hebrews 2, 6 through 7, it tells us angels, which would probably be what it was, tells us angels are separate creations from humans. It says, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. But this part's the important one. It says, you made them a little lower than angels. Man is a little lower than angels. It's saying there are, there, it's saying that like what we are is angels are different from humans. Now, this takes us kind of to the next part of our discussion today, because just because there aren't specific people that are coming back to haunt or revisit you, it's not to say there aren't eerie or evil or feelings in presence of spiritual beings. Ephesians 6.12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So it's saying there are evil spiritual forces outside of our realm. And if you keep going in scripture, we see that there is this power, or they are the powers of the devil or Satan, in which he also participates in some evil we experience. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen it says, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the devil, or also known as Satan at times. We don't have all the details in God's word about him or his origin, but we can know a few things about him. And we saw in scripture, in Revelation 12, 7 is where it starts, kind of about him a bit. It says, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. It's showing us the devil and his angels are now attempting to lead the world astray. So if we kind of put all this information together and ask if ghosts are real, well, if our thinking is of them being this historical person who passed, it's incorrect. No. But if our thinking is that evil can come as this ghostly figure or presence meant to trick and deceive us, that is plausible. Evil wants to make you think contrary to God's word. It wants to deceive you and lead you astray. So when evil gets you thinking that maybe you have this friendly ancestral ghost or guardian ghost, evil is most likely laughing at you and, and sees themselves as winning because it's deceiving you against God's word. So going off of scripture, evil and spiritual beings, they're real. And honestly, God doesn't really want you to entertain real evil. He wants you to repel evil and avoid it because John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, 
I'm not this like prudish pastor on stage saying you can't have fun with like fake spooky things around this time, but I do want to give you a stern warning today. If this is something you desire, you need to proceed with caution because it's a blurry line to cross. You might entertain attempts to pretend and tell stories and be fine balancing that line. But again, if you were here a few weeks ago, we said evil works overtime, as in more than 40 hours. Uh, it's, it's spiritual. It doesn't have to eat or sleep or recover or rest like you and I do. It's always ready even when we're not. So saying all this, I hope it gives you clarity on some ghosts, but it might not ease your mind, right? It might not ease your mind because there's evil, right? There's evil out there. Or now you now know there's evil out there, maybe is what you're first hearing. And if you're a Bible-believing person, you, you have to affirm that. I wish I could say, like, you know, it's fake or it's unreal or there aren't harmful spiritual things out there. Honestly, I have generally lived, and I still do live in this type of thinking at times, because to me, it kind of just seems all hokey-pokey-ish to me. Like, and ignorance is kind of bliss when it comes to this stuff. Like, I'm a scaredy cat. Remember, you heard that. I had nightmares for days after watching the movie Hocus Pocus, for crying out loud. Like, seriously. But to live that way, to live that way that it's not real, it would be untrue. If you believe the Bible, there are definitely spiritual things out there. Now, I want to pause and kind of step outside of today's message as the pastor because I get it. I'm 10 minutes into our message right now, and I can already sense some of you, like what some of you maybe think of me and my interpretation of some of this stuff. I think a few of you are instantly comparing me to your hillbilly friend or your hillbilly uncle who is all about conspiracies and always thinking there's haunting or unidentified things out there. And you think it's all baloney. If that's you, I get you. Because <laughs> I would be thinking that exact same thing right now. But I respect the Bible. And I see it as authority. And it tells us contrary to this. So sorry, but it's real. Now you might be thinking, hopefully more seriously now, with a little more respect about me. Great. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks a lot. I, I will never re-enter my basement moving forward, uh, or I'll never go to that attic or that dark place or that woods ever by myself, or specifically, I'm seeing some glances from husbands right now of thinking, thanks, I will forever be the person going to that basement or that attic or wherever we need to go. Thanks a lot, Pastor Aaron. But I want to give you some comfort now. With God, there is nothing to be afraid of. Check out what it says in Ephesians 6, verses 13 to 17. It says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, if I'm being honest, as I, as I look at that passage and I read this to you, I, it's comforting, but it sounds a lot like just a lot of church words together. Like, what does that even mean? But if I, if I think to clarify it a little bit for us, it's trying to say you have armor. You have armor. You have gear against these things. Anybody a gear person? I love gear. I love gear. REI, I love going to... Anybody else? 
Okay, only a few people. I'm way too cheap for REI, so it's more like Sierra for me, which is like the discount store. And I'm also even way too cheap for that. I'm more like, what can I find online for 70% off at these online stores? That's more me. But good gear makes it better. It makes the adventure better. It makes it more enjoyable. It makes it ready for difficulties. But Scripture is telling us you have the stuff already. You have the gear from God to combat. And if we look at that passage again, we can see it says words like armor, the belt, the breastplate, the shield, the helmet, the sword. What Paul, the writer, is doing is he's using physical armor that was worn by Roman soldiers as this imagery for spiritual armor. And almost all of what he states there is equipment used to defend. Paul is showing you that you've been gifted with armor from God to defend. And the weapon, the weapon to attack is the sword, which is scripture. We saw the Bible is the double-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So with God, we have the gear, and we have nothing to be afraid of. Yet it still causes some disclarity, right? At least for me, and it makes me still not super excited about going down into the basement, even as the husband in my relationship with my wife. But this brings us to the next section of our graph, kind of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. Because in remembering this truth and trying to process this all, God says we don't just have the gear or armor, but we also have the person of the Holy Spirit present with us. Growing up, uh, I was a small kid. I was. I just was always short. I was under five foot until I was a sophomore in high school. And when you're shorter, you either have to be a scrappy person to get by, or you need a big friend. You need a big friend. And I always preferred to have a big friend with me. I really did. Like, you just had more confidence when you had someone like that with you. No one's going to mess with you when you got a 200-pound dude with you that's 6'3 and walks in the room. Like, you could be a little cockier. You could kind of command the situation with other people, which pre-Christian Aaron loved these things. But when you have that, when you have a bigger person, you can kind of like... Demand respect, right? You can, and like other people are maybe a little cocky, and like the situation changes drastically when you got a big dude in the room, right? It changes dramatically. I'll for sure go into my basement when I have a big dude with me, for sure. Sorry, this might be getting kind of weird for some of you, but it's an amazing feeling that I know some of you would love to have, to have someone right there next to you that's, that's very strong. Maybe it's more of a womanly thing to desire, so sorry, Sydney, you just get me. Uh, but if you want protection with you, you just get me, sorry. But the reason I tell you this and kind of joke about this all is in Bible times, the disciples really started to enjoy having Jesus with them. He was feeding them, protecting them, guiding them into what they should do. Sure, he maybe wasn't like a big guy per se, but he had power. He had power. He was the ultimate protector. So when Jesus then tells them, I'm going to leave you, they're like, uh, no, no, you must stay. You got to stay with us to get us through this. But Jesus says this back to them. He says this in John 16, 7. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper 
or the Amplified Bible says the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby, that person will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. Jesus is saying, I am sending someone to be with you, and it's for your advantage to have him over me. If I'm a disciple, I'm like, um, nah. Sorry, Jesus. No, like, stay. Someone physical versus someone spiritual, I'll take you, Jesus. Like, stay with us. Wouldn't you? Well, let's start seeing maybe why it's to our advantage. What Jesus sends is also known as this Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, and it's an active, real personhood of the Trinity or the three parts of God, and is the Spirit is present with us here on this earth. If you are from a, maybe a traditional faith background, you've probably heard the word Trinity before, but it's actually not a word that's in the Bible. We don't see the Trinity ever said in the Bible. It's a theological word or the study of God word, and it describes the being of God as best as we can. In Scripture, we read that there's only one God, but there are three persons or three ways that God presents himself. In Scripture, it says things like God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are the three parts that make up God. So the Holy Spirit is this part of God that comes when Jesus leaves, and he does things. If you're unfamiliar with this spirit, I want to tell you a few Holy Ghost stories, and I'll use my flashlight for this. What happens in one time in Scripture A wind comes, and all of a sudden, something just fills the space around the disciples after Jesus left. And it's this energy that fills them, and then gives them the willingness to go out into public, where a festival from people of all different backgrounds and languages are. And the disciples, they start speaking in ways that they didn't know prior, but others can understand them and learn the truth of God through them. Another time, after some disciples were arrested and afraid and in the presence of enemies, the Holy Spirit comes and empowers a disciple to speak truth to them, to speak the words that won't appease the people they're talking to, but be honest, and somehow they are still released. Another time, a man of God teaches and explains the full truth about God for people to hear and be changed by it, but evil presents itself and picks up stones and stones this man, yet the Holy Spirit comes to him and he looks up and is glad while being stoned. Another time, Paul, a teacher, is, is opposed by some people who, who plays with evil. Evil is trying to stop Paul's mission, and this Holy Spirit comes upon Paul and blinds the evil. Or one last time. Paul and Jesus, their followers are spreading the word, and they have this desire to go to this particular location, but the Holy Spirit comes and prevents them from going there, and it changes the course so that others know about God. You see, the Holy Spirit, it comes, and it energizes, and it gifts people, and it gives people peace in trials. It stops evil, and it protects The Spirit is present in individuals, and it's with them all times, presenting himself when they call to him. 
But unfortunately, unlike Jesus, a physically present person, the Spirit is ominous. It works in strange ways and honestly is quite frightening in what it wants at times. But we can see he is greater than the physical person, or greater than having the physical person of Jesus around. Prominent pastor J.D. Greer, he states this. He says, the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. They're equal as in persons, but it is better to have him inside you than Jesus next to you. That's a bold statement, but it also starts to make sense when you think about it. I mean, more can have him. He's with us always, all times, and he's outside of our realm. Yet, how does that work? Who is he really? Well, the Holy Spirit comes and starts being with you when you make the choice to become a Christian. Scripture says this, And now you Gentiles, or or people who are new to God, have also heard the truth and good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. So when you believed in God, you're given the Holy Spirit. And then it guides us to living and witnessing for God through our words and life choices. For example, in Acts 1.8, it says, You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he gifts us, the Holy Spirit gives us, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and then 7 through 11, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your questions about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to to give wise advice, to another a message of special knowledge, to another great faith, to another healing, to another the perform miracles, to the other the ability of the prophecy, to the other the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. It is one, the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts, the Holy Spirit. He alone this, this determines what that gift is. And then the Spirit also protects us and helps us. Romans 8, 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. It helps us in witnessing. It gives us gifts. It helps us live out God's truth and knows fully what we need when we have no clue. So to be very clear, the Holy Spirit It's this energy, it's this inner voice and special ability that you receive that is prompting God's ways with you when you are a Christian. It's like the wind. Now, I probably hate it as much as you when pastors start using wind analogies, but but try to picture this one for a second. Some days you feel the wind strongly and some not. Some days it's windy outside and you notice it and you go with it and sometimes you fight it completely. Some days it's windy outside and you're too distracted to even notice it that it's windy at all. That is like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you. It's just, are you listening to it? Now, when we bring this to kind of our spooky start of the message and and combating evil, we can now see that we are never alone as a Christian. The presence of the Spirit is always with us. It's prompting us and comforting us. We can feel in our physical world, we can feel him there. But this is where Jesus was probably right. It's better for us to have him 
uh, the Spirit, um, because it's also having the Spirit that's aware of what we need in the spiritual realm. So just as we saw in Romans, that he groans for us and prays for us, he helps us in our weaknesses, like against evil spirits and spooky things. It also prays and groans on our behalf when we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. To me, this is great news, knowing that someone is combating the spooky spiritual realm stuff out there that I want to be ignorant of, and many times I am. The good news, as a Christian, it started to make me think of parenting. Right now, I'm this young parent. I have two little girls, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So what, I'm a new parent, so what I'm trying to say is I know nothing. Um, but, but I love trying to expose my kids to new, unique, and hard things. We, as a family, we are an adventure family. So we bike trails, we surf, we ski, we hike, we rock climb, we swim. And I want my kids to have a love for these things too. And I want them to succeed at these things when they try them. I also want them to do it on their own a bit or to get really comfortable doing it on their own. So to help them build confidence, I'm many times behind the scenes trying to set them up for success, making it easy for them to succeed in the beginning. Now, I have young girls right now. They're both girls, and they don't mind this right now, and I'm sure at some point they're going to be like, stop, Dad, right? Just let me do it myself, or let me live my own life, or something of that sort. I can see some smiles from older parents. Um, We'll see when that day comes. But right now, they have someone advocating for them behind the scenes, of what they never even thought about in when they're attempting something, and it's helping bring them success. But when you know it, I hope they don't see it as me being just this helicopter parent, because the existence won't last forever, but I hope it brings them confidence, knowing their dad has their back and is working for their good. It's the same with God. And the Holy Spirit, it should give us more confidence against anything evil. Anything evil. We can know it's with us. We can know it's working behind the scenes, and it has our back, and it's working for our good. There's no reason to fear evil, and I hope you're leaving with that thought today. Actually, if I were you, I'd probably be more fearful of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost than something evil, which is the last two sections of our message. If we look back at those ghost stories, the first one that we looked at, to feel prompted to go out and speak to others from different nations in different languages, that sounds incredibly scary to me. To speak intense truth to people who determine your future freedom, yee, that sounds horrific. To be in a position where you could die and then f- somehow find peace when it's happening? Is that a horror movie or what? To be prompted to confront evil, an evil spirit that's terrorizing you? Yikes. To feel this strong energy to not be able to go where you want to? That sounds not desirable to me. You see, when you are aware of the Holy Spirit, it gives you promptings. It gives you ability and words. It gives you the desire to witness and barriers to not do what you want when it's in conflict for your best good. It's influential to move you. It sounds kind of like a haunting, right? The Holy Spirit is 
God. And it's his energy that pushes you towards God's desires and directions for your life, which all Christians should want, right? We should all want, yet we're pretty resistant, myself included. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be uncomfortable. That sounds horrific to me. Literally, like for those that like horror and evil and those kind of like spooky movies, that, that eerie, squeamish feeling that you get inside when you see that person going to the basement or you see that person walking out to the garage in the middle of the night, why would they do that? That chemical feeling that you get is many times the same exact feeling the Holy Spirit gives you when it wants to push you to doing something for God which is why I describe the promptings of the Holy Spirit with horror in mind. So whether you are into that horror feeling or not, from the Holy Spirit, God wants us to respond to it. You horror lovers, I guess, just have it easier. You have it easier. No matter where you land in desiring that feeling, are you listening to it? Are you feeling for it? Are you responding to it? Again, the Holy Spirit, it's this amazing safety He is God and fully loving and with us always, but caution. He is definitely not going to give you a comfortable, laid-back life. He wants to lead you to holiness and purpose for God. Have you felt it? If not, why not? Do you know what you should be doing to pay closer attention to it? And if you have felt it, where are you pursuing more of it? In my life, As I think about me, where I felt the Holy Spirit, like to really try and break it down for you in a practical way I can, I usually feel him when I start sitting and observing people around me. I have this internal nudge and thought that start to flood my mind. They're just like, they come to my mind to maybe pray for this person or talk to this person or start a conversation with someone I don't know, invite them to church or share this good comment that I know from scripture. And I'm an introvert. I don't really want to. No, thank you. I also feel the Holy Spirit at times like when I'm experiencing hard hits emotionally as a person or personal attacks are coming from others. If I'm willing to go to God with it instead of just going to myself with it, I have this soft voice usually in my mind of saying, just take it, Aaron. This person needs to vent. Just take it. I I really feel the Holy Spirit at times when I was thinking about planting this church and God was starting to say Fond du Lac. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Fond du Lac. And I'm like, no. And all the signs were pointing to Fond du Lac. And I'm like, no. I didn't want to move to Fond du Lac. These tugs and these pushes and subtle internal thoughts, which feel like voices at times, is God's spirit and power within you, pushing you to be greater, stronger, and a true follower of God. I want to be completely raw and honest with you about where I'm at with this right now. Over the past few years, I've been quite bad about listening to the Holy Spirit in a particular area of my life, and it's my personal ministry. Um, It's with meeting people. It's with meeting random new people, but starting conversations with others and not just, you know, kicking the tires, talking about the weather with them or fun hobbies, which I could talk about all day long, but actually starting conversations with people and talking about God with them, like talking about how they can have disciplined faith life, how they can have more experience with God. I don't want it. I don't really want to do it. I had to do it early on in the church plant days in the first year or so, but now we have momentum and I don't want to do it. I just don't. And I feel the tug to do so still though, this Holy Spirit tug, yet I filter him out sometimes. No, I'm good. So caution, having the Holy Spirit 
It's kind of like a haunting. Now, when I go to a restaurant or a coffee house or I'm with random people, I'm more nervous about God's spirit prompting me than I am about an evil spirit ever doing something to me in the future. What about you? As you're here today, I want to ask you, where do you land in all of that and letting the Holy Spirit guide you? As I'm in my last just four, three or four minutes here, I want to give you a clear path to hearing, listening, and experiencing God's Spirit. Like physically here and now, today. Not in some weird way, but I want to, I want to help put you in a position to experience God in a personal, undeniable way today. Now, I can sense maybe some uneasiness. You're like, where's Aaron going with this? Is he doing altar calls or what? Like, is he going to make me dance or speak or something like that? No, I'd get a bit uneasy about that too. But I want to guide you in trying something to hear and feel the Holy Spirit. I want to give you some prompts to maybe take that next step with God. Would you want that? The first thing in order to experience it is I first got to ask you is, do you have a relationship with God? That spirit comes when you have a relationship with God. So starting with that might just be saying, hey God, I want to start a relationship with you. I trust in who you are. I need your forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you. But then from there, in preparing for this message, I read this book called Jesus Continued by J.D. Greer, but he, he states six ways that we can more likely experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. The first is in the gospel, which is accepting God's love and grace for you, but going deeper in the understanding of it, of like how much grace you've experienced, how much grace God really has. The second is through the word of God, spending time in the Bible. The Spirit will never tell you anything contrary to the Bible. So spending time in it, when you read it, certain parts speak to you at specific times. The third one, through community or in church. You're here right now. You're around others. But maybe you need to start connecting with others and hearing how God is moving through them. And sometimes those promptings are how God wants to move through you. The fourth is in reflecting your various spiritual giftings. How has God gifted you? What has he given you? And start thinking about how you can start using it. The fifth is in our spirit by communion with him in prayer, spending time conversing with God. And then the last one is through his sovereign control over our circumstances. Is a door open for you that you weren't expecting to be open? Is a door closed to you right now? You're planning on everything going smoothly and bang, things just change. Maybe God's trying to speak through you through that. So I want to give you a chance to listen for God's promptings. Uh, we're going to spend a minute just kind of reflecting on a song. There's a verse um, that you can read and then a specific prayer you can pray to God. And then we're just going to spend one minute listening, waiting for God. And maybe he'll speak to you in one of those ways. And then I'll wrap us up and the band will close us with two songs. And when you 
say to jump, I'm diving in. If you say be still, then I will wait. If you say to trust, I will obey. I don't want to follow my own ways. I'm done chasing feelings. I hope you have something, something to move on. If not, no, there's, there's more of those action steps on that list that you can engage with after the service. But I pray that as you leave today, that you start to feel God like the wind. You start to feel him. I pray that you take notice of him. I pray that you don't fear spirits outside of him because you have him. I pray that you feel him like a haunting, right, to reach more people with his presence and to fulfill more and more purpose of God while you're here on earth. If you want some of those things, would you pray with me as I close us? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us your spirit. Thank you for giving us the protection that comes from you. God, I just pray that you're with us. God, I pray that you have us hear and listen and just be ready for what it is you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.